Hello, everybody, and welcome to this panel. It's called Trump and Mexico. Allow me to uh, introduce the panel. I'm going to start on the end over there. Uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar, Democrat from Laredo, Texas, uh, was elected in 2005 uh, to represent uh, District 28. He serves on the House Appropriations Committee uh, and on the subcommittees of Homeland Security and Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development. Previously, uh, Cuellar served as Secretary of State of Texas. And before that, he was, as we say, house trained, house very, broken, very house trained in the Texas House of Representatives. <laughs> Sid Miller, a Republican from Stephenville, Texas, has served as uh, Agriculture Commissioner since 2014, also house broken. Uh, Miller served six terms <laughs> in the Texas House. That's why I wanted to put y'all two together. Uh, during his tenure, Miller chaired the uh, Ag and Livestock Committee and Homeland Security and Public Safety Committee. Uh, he's an eighth-generation farmer and rancher, also served on uh, the state agriculture, serves on, or served on, I guess, the State Agriculture Policy Board and was appointed to serve on the National Energy Council. Sitting next to uh, Sid Miller is Veronica Escobar. She's currently serving her second term as El Paso County Judge. Previously, she served <laughs> as County Commissioner for Precinct 2 and uh, as a member of numerous boards and commissions in El Paso, where she was born and is very proud of, uh, and is focused on border policy, education, and youth leadership development. In August, Escobar announced her candidacy for the uh, 16th Congressional District, which is currently held by uh, Representative Beto O'Rourke. Tony Garza, a native of Brownsville, Texas, served as the U.S. Ambassador to Mexico from 2002 the 2009, before his appointment, he served as the Texas Secretary of State and as chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. He is currently counsel in the Mexico City office of White and Case and chairman of Villanovo Ventures, a management consulting firm specializing in cross-border business development. And not housebroken. Not housebroken, <laughs> correct. Um, Governor Francisco Garcia Cabeza de Vaca has served as governor of the Mexican state of Tamaulipas, our neighbor, which borders Texas from Webb County uh, to Brownsville since 2016. He previously served as mayor of Reynosa, a border city across from McAllen, Texas, and also as a federal senator. As governor, Cabeza de Vaca has advocated for greater cooperation between Texas and Tamaulipas. Here's a fun fact. He was born in McAllen, Texas, went to high school there, and I believe is the only dual national governor uh, in Mexico. So I think it's really cool that we have four of, of the five panelists, four are, were born along the border. Sid Miller and I were not, but. Um, so the title of this panel is Trump and Mexico, but it might as well be called Trump versus Mexico. We all remember uh, the line about rapists and drug traffickers and a few good people coming across the U.S.-Mexico border. The relationship remains tense, whether it's over the wall, DACA, NAFTA, you name it. So let's start with a show of hands. Who on this panel supports something, anything, that Donald Trump is doing when it comes to his policy and rhetoric directed at Mexico? All right, let's start with Tony. All right. And this, this is actually going to be sort of uh, curiously enough. Uh, it's not so much that I support the positions a president has taken. I support the responses to the positions the president has taken. I think for, if you look at 20, 23, 24, 25 years of NAFTA, 
we had pretty much taken for granted that we would have an open and, and efficient trading relationship with Mexico. And I think until the president started to really challenge those assumptions, we weren't very good about defending the importance of the relationship. We weren't good about every day stepping up and saying, this relationship means hundreds and thousands of jobs to Texas. It means opportunity and prosperity in Mexico. It means the opportunity to have a cooperative relationship with a single most important partner that we have in terms of security, in terms of immigration, in terms of all those issues that impact the border, but our lives generally in the United States and Mexico. So in a sense, until there was this, this, this threat to this relationship that we had gotten so comfortable with, we weren't willing to step up each and every day and defend it. So it's not that I defend so much in any way the positions the president has taken with respect to trade or DACA or, or immigration reform and the need for it. It's that I, that I think it was important for us to start being far more vocal about how important it was to the quality, quality of our lives each day and the nature of the security relationship and the importance of the relationship that we have with, with our sister states like Tamaulipas and country of Mexico. Commissioner Miller, I, I'm assuming that's not exactly what you have in mind. You actually agree with, with Trump on a lot of uh, uh, this, On right? most things. I, I, would, I would say that with a caveat. I think I take a kinder, gentler approach than our president does. Uh, but, I, you know, I think people think of our president in, in his current political position, which he is not a politician. He's, he's a businessman. Uh, he's a deal maker. You know, he wants to make America great again. Uh, and, and part of making a deal is position, positioning yourself. Let's take NAFTA, for instance, which I agree with him on. It, it, it's an old document. It's over 20 years old, you know. Uh, consumers have changed, technology has changed, uh, per capita consumption has changed. It's kind of like a house you built 20 years ago. It, it's time for, you know, a new coat of paint and, and uplifting. We need to modernize it. Uh, the, the line is, and when I served, on, came on board as one of his, uh, agreed to be a advisor, an agriculture advisor to him, uh, he agreed that agriculture would have a say in, in whatever we did with NAFTA, or Mexico, or, or immigration, and he's, he's kept that word so far. So he, he'll throw out a lot of bombastic statements like, well, I'm just going to scrap the whole thing. I'm going to start over. Well, what you do you, you have a problem with bombastic statements? If, if, but not, <laughs> somebody said I was, uh, one of the reporters said you were Trump before Trump was Trump. <laughs> anyway, uh, as I know the man and know his background, that is part of positioning yourself in bargaining. You know, if the other side thinks you're fixing to walk away from the table and scrap the whole deal, all of a sudden they start scrambling, come in together and say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 hold up just a minute before you just scrap the whole thing. What was it you wanted? Let's see if we can work this out. Let's all get to the table. And I think it's in our, our best interest that, that we do that. Uh, my advice uh, as an advisor is NAFTA is the ground floor. We start there and make it better for both sides, for Mexico, for Canada, for Texas, and we don't do any harm. If we can't make it any better, it's status quo. So we take that agreement and we build on it. We don't tear it down. So that's why the, 
the Agriculture Advisory Committee, even though agriculture has profited greatly with NAFTA, is advising him to go forward on that, because there are some things that, that we need to tweak and, and update. Congressman Cuellar, let me ask you about that, because what I'm, what I'm hearing actually in both of these answers is that Donald Trump has presented an opportunity, whether you like what he says or don't like what he says. We're, we're talking about NAFTA now, and now even people who didn't want to talk about NAFTA want to talk about NAFTA. So do you, do you agree that there's an opportunity here because of well, Trump? Well, I, I disagree. Uh, we actually had that conversation beforehand, before, um, I think it was in June of uh, 2016 or whenever he started his, uh, his uh, campaign saying that the Mexicans were rapists, murderers, et cetera, et cetera, there's the good ones. If you remember, there was an agreement called the, or there was a, an approach that we're looking at called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And under the Trans-Pacific Partnership, we actually did the NAFTA 2.0. Everything we're talking about, except for the fury and fire, uh, was done under TPP. Uh, the only bad thing is, on the third day of the presidency, the president got out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and the only one that was really happy was China, because we got out of that leadership itself. And it, trade is very important. And, and I, I live in Laredo. I represent all the way down to the valley, San Antonio. So trade is very important. Every day there's $1.3 billion of trade mm -hmm. between the United States and uh, the United States. That's over a million dollars a minute. And then when he talks about all the rapists and murderers, look what the Mexicans have sent. Uh, last year they sent almost 20 million, uh, we had 20 million uh, Mexican visitors uh, that year. That's one out of four people that come into the United States are Mexicans, which means that Mexico sends more than the UK, Japan, Brazil, China, Germany, France, everybody put together. Billions of dollars are spent. And, and Tony, we all know this. You know, they come in, they spend money in our hotels, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if somebody's such a good businessman, imagine if, you know, two business people got together and said, hey, before we get started, I want to tell you that your family, you got rapists, you got murders, you got all this. Hey, by the way, can we get started on the nego negotiations? You don't do that because if you see Russia as a friend and Mexico as an enemy, our world has been turned upside down. Governor, I want to... I, I, want, to get, I want to get everybody on this question because this, this is really, you know, the, the whole nut here is... For you, for example, Governor, is can you say anything nice about Trump in Mexico? I mean, isn't that hazardous to your political health to do something like that? Well, first of all, uh, we need to keep the sovereignty of uh, each country, you know, maintain it. Uh, this is a decision that uh, the federal government uh, has has to take. Regarding NAFTA, uh, sometimes uh, I wonder if uh, we forget that uh, this uh, trilateral uh, agreement, Canada is involved as well. So we need to hear what they have to say regarding all the modification that NAFTA has to take uh, place. Uh, and another thing that sometimes I wonder, if we need to look across the border, the southern part of the border, instead of looking uh, across the ocean, are we competing with each other? Or are we really competing with other countries like uh, China, Japan, Korea, and some others? If we're talking about uh, lowering the, uh, the trade deficit, what we need to do is uh, work together 
and make sure we maintain the competitiveness between our countries. Where is the idea of the NAFTA? It's to lower the cost of the products. If uh, uh, many changes are made in the NAFTA, if they start putting some taxes on some products, who's going to pay for, for those, the increase of those products? But the government? That, but no. I think the, the, the consumers are the ones that are going to pay the, the increase of those products. But do you think, though, getting to the question of Trump, that, that whether you like Trump or hate Trump or whatever, that he sparked a conversation about NAFTA that needed to be had? Some people say that. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, what, what, the thing that I agree is that uh, we need to modernize the, the NAFTA. Uh, there are some other uh, issues that are, that are not included in the NAFTA or the telecan that had to be put on the table. Let's remember that Mexico has uh, become a, a real good uh, partner a real good ally, a real good friend in many other issues had to do with uh, security issues. And uh, those things uh, need to take uh, count as well. So um, back to the question, I believe that we need to review uh, the NAFTA with the idea of to benefit the three countries. Oh, Jessica Barr, what about it? Do you, do you feel like that, that Trump has, has actually, in, a, in sort of a strange way, provided an opportunity to talk about some of these issues? I do. Um, and first, Jay, to you and Evan, thank you for hosting us. And to everybody here, I'm so glad that you're interested in this conversation. It's a really important conversation. Uh, I told several folks yesterday that instead of a moderator with this topic, we probably needed a psychotherapist or a social <laughs> worker to kind of help talk us through uh, some of these issues. But you know, the, interestingly enough, when, when Trump first talked about blowing up NAFTA, our community is much like Laredo, where a quarter of our jobs are dependent on trade. So there was a real fear in El Paso about how this would impact our local economy and, and what it would mean to our jobs. We had already suffered through the implementation of NAFTA, where we had um, our unemployment rate skyrocket when manufacturing moved south of the border. And we had to regroup, we had to reinvent ourselves, reinvent our economy, and to have to do it again um, if NAFTA were blown up, it's, it's a hard thing for you know, community to take over and over and over again. But I will tell you there is an opportunity, and I think it's up to all of us to ensure that we maximize this opportunity um, through conversations and advocacy and through congressional votes and a, and, a, and a push through the government to make NAFTA better. But we also have to look at the other side of the border, and I'll, I'll give you an example. In Ciudad Juarez, when there were a group of women who were advocating for a salary increase, they were fired. And they camped out outside of their manufacturing plant in the dead of winter as protest and to draw attention to the fact that they had very few labor rights. And we should never benefit from others' misery. And so there's an opportunity to create better working conditions for labor mm -hmm. on both sides, but especially in, in places like Mexico. And I think additionally, if we look at the other issue that Trump has brought to the forefront, which is immigration, immigration and trade go hand in hand, in, in my view. When you have a rapidly industrialized area, but human rights and workers' rights don't keep up with it, and people are struggling, they are going to want to leave their homeland to find something better. 
And so it, it, it increases immigration, undocumented immigration. The, nobody's gonna wanna leave their, their neighborhood, their family, their language, their country to go somewhere they are not wanted unless they feel absolutely desperate to do so. So, so it's an opportunity to create better conditions for people who want work and who want a better life and who want to stay in their country. And then Trump solves, you know, two, two issues that, that he claims the, you know, the American public wanted him to solve, immigration, undocumented immigration and trade, but in a positive way. Do I think that will happen? It's going to be up to us. Well, let me, while, while you're, let, let, let's stick with you because I, I want to ask you about one thing in particular about the wall. The, the, so you have, we talked about this on the phone before uh, you came on this panel, um, but uh, you have existing fencing right now in, in, in large stretches in El Paso County. Let me ask you this, do the fences work? And if they, and if they do, you know, is there anything really wrong with adding to more physical barriers or should they be torn down? What is your view on that? Well, you know, the, the whole wall idea is, it's offensive and it's absurd and it's intended to be. Um, we already have a wall and... Um, but does it work? Does it work? Yeah, and, and, and I'll answer that. I mean, I do believe there are probably areas where you need some kind of fencing. But what, what we have in El Paso is absurd. I, I mean, it's, it's disgusting, it's rusting. It is intended to send a negative message to our neighbor, you know, and with all due respect to the commissioner, that when you when you have a good neighbor, and and you know, say what you want about uh, U.S.-Mexico relationships, there's a lot of blame on both sides on the issues that we're grappling with together, whether it be drugs, you know, an insatiable appetite for drugs and the supply that's coming. That you know, there has to be a realistic discussion, but you don't treat your neighbor and your most important strategic ally in a very disrespectful way. Governor, let me ask you this, because you, you're the governor of the state of Tamaulipas, which is, we have a huge section of the border down there in uh, Cameron County, Hidalgo County, uh, where there's a lot of existing physical structures. Do, do you take offense at those physical structures, and do you take offense at adding to them? Well, I don't believe in the building more uh, walls. Instead of that, uh, I strongly believe that we need to, to build more bridges. Uh, in the case of Tamaulipas in Texas, uh, we share 17 border crosses. Uh, we're talking about $1 billion of commerce that go every day. Uh, this is not going to be the first or the last time that, that I say this, but uh, sometimes it's very important for the people in Mexico City and Washington to understand what really goes on at the border. They don't understand that we're not only neighbors, we're friends, we're allies, and in many cases, we're family. We depend on each other, and we need to work on that. So I'm going to um, use the, this uh, panel to, once again, invite uh, President Peña Nieto and President Trump to come to the border so they can see by themselves what goes on every day, you know, how we depend on each other, and that working together will going to benefit uh, um, the, uh, the quality of life of the people who live in both sides of the border. And you made that same invitation with Sid Miller Sid on Miller. a bridge, which I, I think y'all have the most unlikely friendship in the Western <laughs> That's Hemisphere. Right. So what, good what, friends. What is up with your bromance? <laughs> He's a rancher, you, I'm a rancher, so well, well, we, we, we speak <laughs> the same language, yeah. right? Let, let me tell you what's, what's likely up, and I think they, they, they hit on it, if you, if you looked at that, that period when NAFTA was most threatened, 
uh, going, you know, a couple of months ago before the first round of negotiations. That, it was actually the, uh, the Ag Commissioner, Purdue, that went and marched into the uh, Oval yeah. Office and said, time out, slow down, before we get too far ahead of ourselves in terms of condemning and, and uh, threatening withdrawal from this agreement, let's look at the impact on the Midwest and Texas in terms of exports to Mexico. Yeah. And so I, I think once we started looking at NAFTA more clearly in the context of what it really meant to the United States, you know, there's a tendency when we talk about immigration, Jay, and, and trade in the United States to, to, to think it's a zero-sum game or somehow it's only benefiting Mexico. This is really about the benefits to the United States. And even if you looked at it through that prism, even if you said, let's look at it through an America first prism, you would say it's still in the best interest of the United States to have a constructive, efficient, and, and good trading relationship with Mexico. Sure. Even if you looked at immigration and you wanted to take kind of a zero sum, put your blinders on and say, how is this good for the United States? You'd say, immigrants have always been good for the United States. You know, so it, it, it's one of these things that even if you, if, you, if you looked at it very dispassionately and you said, as the United States, what is in the very best interest of this country? You would say trade, immigration reform. You know, talk about this wall. And, and, and Henry, I don't want to speak for you. Maybe it's because we're the old guys on the panel. But, you know, in, in the 60s, I remember physical obstacles. And that was the most efficient way to, uh, you know, to, to have security along the border. This is not the 60s anymore. There are ways that you integrate technologies and you know, the truth is, if, if you're really talking about security and you're, and you're looking at the transnational threats to the United States, whether they be terrorism, cartels, transnational criminal organizations, almost by definition, when you say transnational, it means transnational cooperation. It means that the only way that you're going to confront these, these, these menaces effectively is through cooperation with Mexico. Well, so it's about technology. Sure, maybe fences and some physical obstacles were, were, were the appropriate uh, responses in the 60s, 70s, but we well, don't live George in the w. 60s Bush and 70s built them, anymore. Uh, you know, and your part friend of George was. W. Bush built Absolutely, absolutely, and there, and there were parts where it still made sense. But the truth is, any wall that needs to be built has probably already been built. And the fact is, in this day and age, if you're still looking at physical obstacles as opposed to technology and cooperation, you're looking backwards and not forwards. That's right. Commissioner Miller, I, I want to I, I get you just very quickly. Uh, explain this relationship that you have struck up with the governor here and what it might say about, you know, even in this heated uh, era with Trump, you know, tweeting out, obscenities or whatever it is he's doing. Um, you know, what, what, on what basis have you, uh, g give me some specifics, because you, you talked to me about bull weevils and stuff. Just very briefly describe what you and the governor have done. Well, I think, you know, the governor came up, actually before we ever took office, we, we had our first meeting at my office over here at the TDA building. We sat down, we discussed things that, that how Texas relationship with Tampalipas, how can we help them? He asked me, what, what can we do to help you and the Texas farmers and ranchers, and, and we just hit it off. I mean, we, we, we practice the good neighbor policy. We want to keep those dialogues open. And at that time, there was a lot of vitriol and, and rhetoric where that was shutting down, and it was being a wall uh, driven uh, between uh, our, our Mexican counterparts and, and, and the United States. But we, we saw through that, and we worked through that, and uh, what you mentioned, the Bow Weevil program, uh, we 
bow weaver program, we have an eradication program. We manage that here in Texas. It goes all the way from Alabama to California. It's, it's a huge pest that can wipe out a, a cotton crop. We've, we've basically eradicated that from all the southern United States, but we still have a hot spot down on the border with, with Tampalipas. And I was explaining this to the future governor at that time, he hadn't been sworn in, that, that uh, we needed their cooperation uh, to eradicate the boll weevil down there because it keeps reinfecting us. And uh, I showed him pictures of cotton plants that were 20 and 25 foot tall that people are using for shade trees in their yard. And uh, I don't think he was aware of that. So once he was sworn in, uh, through consulting with, with, with our people and their people, they went in and destroyed thousands and thousands of those rogue uh, uh, cotton plants, uh, put in new guidelines and sprays for those uh, farmers down there, new guidelines on, on spreading seeds so it doesn't drop on the, on the roadside. And uh, we've had our first growing season since that, and, and I'm uh, proud to report that our bow weevil uh, uh, hotspot down there in Laredo, that problem is, is diminished about 90%. So that's how the good neighbor policy works back and forth, and I, I appreciate that. Now, he needs something from me. I'm Johnny on the spot. Whatever I can do to help my, my neighbor to the south, we're on it. And uh, that's just working together and, and good, building good relationships. But let's turn to another issue that is always a major sticking point, and that is corruption. Um, governor, 11 former governors of Mexico, including two of your predecessors, are being investigated or have been indicted uh, on, on serious corruption issues. Um, do, do Americans have the right to be skeptical about partnering? And I want to get into our own corruption in the U U.S. in a minute. But before we do that, I want to ask you, do, do, Mexicans, do, do Americans not have the right to be a little skeptical about partnering with Mexican law enforcement and political leaders? That's the first question. And secondly, would you be in favor of extraditing your two predecessors to the United States? Well, the problem with corruption doesn't stop in the water. You know, it goes in both sides. In order for the, as a matter of fact, the criminals go back and forth. And that's something we need to, to work on that. Uh, I strongly believe that, that communication and uh, uh, working together with the institutions, uh, you know, in both sides, uh, it'll be uh, the only way uh, to stop criminals uh, going back and forth. Uh, regarding the, the ex-governors, uh, not only in Tamil, some other states, well, well, they're just applying the law. You know, they uh, committing a crime, uh, they're going to go to jail. Uh, uh, regarding the two ex-governors, uh, uh, it's going to depend, one of them, on the Mexican authorities, this, in this case, the, the Procuraduría General de la República, they decide uh, to leave them in Mexico or in the U United States. And uh, regarding the, the security issues and the police uh, officers, in the case of Tamaulipas, I said it uh, back then, I said it again. Uh, I was a, a president of, of the Army Committee uh, when I was a senator, and I worked the, with the United States authorities because what, what is good for Tamaulipas is good for Texas. But at the same time, what is bad over there regarding uh, criminals, uh, uh, you know, drugs and weapons going back and forth, is also bad for the United States. So uh, right now, and I know I'm on the record, I'm willing to work together with the United States in order to pacify my state and help Texas as well. Congressman Cuellar, we, you know, um, Donald Trump has turned Mexico bashing into a sport, and corruption is one of the things that people complain about. But the governor is right. We don't talk much about 
corruption on our side of the border. You know, the Texas Tribune, we looked into this and we found just so many instances where customs agents were getting paid off and, you know, but we don't talk about that much. Shouldn't that be more part of the conversation in Congress? Why aren't we doing more to reform the Border Patrol and, you know, maybe bring in more lie detectors or whatever it is, have a more robust discussion, but it just doesn't seem to be part of the discussion. Well, actually, you know, I do sit in the Homeland Appropriations, and we do uh, work on those issues. And there are those investigations that are ongoing right now. But as you know, anytime, as the governor said, anytime there's a lot of money uh, flowing in from the bad guys, uh, they're going to try to influence people one way or the other because what their aim is is to get their product into the hand of the consumers. And as you know, the U.S. is a large uh, con you know, a consumer of drugs, $25, $30 billion of, uh, a year of uh, drug monies go back over there. Sometimes they go back as weapons, as we were talking about, and that's mm -hmm. another issue uh, that goes in. So that's an issue, and that's why when we were trying to hire the Border Patrol, if you remember some years ago, we have the largest number of Border Patrol right now, but there was always a fear about, you know, we gotta make sure we vet them pr uh, properly uh, to make sure that we get the right people in. Uh, and that's something that uh, we also, uh, when uh, Tony was the ambassador, that we also work on Plan Merida is to make sure that as we are training the Mexican federal police, and I think pretty much we're there maybe a little bit at the state level, was to make sure that we properly vet uh, the police officers and the folks that we have to deal with uh, that, uh, that enforce the law on both sides of the border because as the, um, as the governor said, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, the corruption is uh, an issue that addresses, uh, you know, should be addressed in every country itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me, do you mind if I jump in? Sure, one one of the things that you did, you didn't mention, nearly 30 years ago as a county judge in South Texas, and so I, I think one of the things that the judge and I appreciate is that along that border, uh, and, I, and I compare drug money and the launders to kind of salt water through an engine. At first it kind of corrodes, then it rusts, and then it destroys. And that's what drug money does to, to, our, to our systems, to our democracies, to our local governments. At first, it kind of gums out the machinery, then it rusts, and then it destroys it. And so unless you, unless you get at not only the sources, but the facilitators of the movements of money and drugs across that border, you're not really hitting at, 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 at truly the public corruption. Uh, but one why don't thing, we talk about that? Well, we, 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 no, but, we but, do talk about We do know. talk about it, but let me, let, let, yeah. me, let me allude to something that the governor mentioned. Uh, if you look at the, the, the prosecutions or the indictments on both sides of the border, whether they be the governors in Tamaulipas or Coahuila, the treasurer, or up in Chihuahua, the allegations against that governor, or the numbers of sheriffs, mm -hmm. uh, Cameron, Hidalgo, Star counties, mm -hmm. have all had sheriffs and constables spend some, some time in jail. In terms of the focus on those prosecutions, how much better it might be if U.S. attorneys, not looking for just the quick uh, conviction, but really building cases about how, how, not only how was this individual office holder involved, but who were the facilitators? Where are the business people or the, the businesses or the shell businesses or the attorneys, the accountants, the lawyers, the bankers? Everybody that has created this sort of environment that allows for the, for the movements of drug money, who facilitates this? Because until you really get at that system, that ecosystem, you're not going to address what is essentially the DNA along the border well, in part, that, yeah. that has corrupted and has created this, this sort of environment of public corruption. Now, 
And it's not just the border. I mean, the, the, the temptation is to say it's those, those people along the border. It is much larger than that. And, and I think, again, you're not going to get at this unless you have the cooperation between both at the federal level, and we've done some good things as the United States government in Mexico with vetting at the federal level so that you have that cooperation, but it's going to take that. And you're not going to get that level of cooperation on the prosecution by pointing fingers at each other. And that's kind of the environment that we've created. We have, we, have, we have exhausted a great deal of goodwill that had been built up over two decades in the last year and a half. And I think, I, I think that's gonna make cooperation a lot tougher. Yeah, but, you know, and, and, when and you I, talk I, about that ecosystem though, you talked about, and, and Congressman Cuellar, you brought this up about the demand for drugs. We talk about, you know, 60 Minutes ran a piece recently about the heroin crisis in America. And these are all like American suburbs of football players, right? And, and they, they mentioned one little thing at the beginning about the, you know, Mexican, it came from Mexico or whatever. But we're not really tying this as part of a national debate to the people who are, is taking the dope. And it's us. And we're also hiring their workers. So Judge Escobar, what about that? Why isn't that part of the discussion? And it should be. And, and, and I will tell you, any kind of corruption should outrage all of us, um, without a doubt. But the, you know, part of what I always find troubling, whenever we have leaders in D.C., and, and Trump is no different, um, who want to create a border surge of agents and say, I want to hire you know, 5,000 more agents, or I want to hire 3,000 more agents, it, it, in order to do that rapidly, what happens is then there's a weakness on the vetting. I was sharing with you in the green room earlier, I have a couple of friends who are in another federal agency who get um, um, uh, lie detector tested constantly. They can walk into work one morning and they're federal law enforcement and there's a lie detector. They get called into a room and they get plugged into a lie detector test and they complained bitterly to me that that was not the case for um, CBP. And so, you Customs know, frequently you have Customs and Border Protection excuse me, Customs and Border Protection. And so when you, when you have um, national political figures saying, we need to send more people to the border, there's a price to pay for that. And so we have to recognize, we have to be skeptical as Americans whenever we hear something about that, how is that gonna be executed? How quickly will it be executed? And, and what, what processes will be skipped in order to achieve this political goal? And, and, and we have it, we see it, you wrote about it. Commissioner Miller, I wanna ask you something. Now, Donald Trump has not only stirred up Americans about Mexico, he's also stirred up Mexicans about the United States and about him. And we're not the only ones who have a populist pop politician like Donald Trump. They have in Mexico a leftist candidate named Manuel Andres Lopez Obrador. He is shot to the top of the polls in part because of of some of the, the stuff that's going on between the United States and Mexico. So is that what, is that what you want in Mexico, is a, a leftist populist? Uh, you know, he, he might take control because of this. What do you well, think about I that? I don't, I can't imagine any scenario where I'd want a leftist anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm more of a small government guy and a conservative and, you know, and believe in giving people a, a hand up instead of handouts. So I guess the answer to that would be no. But I think we are, uh, in the general sense of things, seeing a change in, in the political world and how things happen, it's not like it used to be. It, it's not mailers in the mail, and it, you know, now we have social media, and, and uh, people are tired of, of status quo, and they won't change, and they, you know, basically just, in a lot of cases, just want somebody to go in there and blow it up and start all over. And I think that's uh, 
that type of uh, people is what uh, appealed to Donald Trump to those but, people. But, but has, it, has it occurred to you at all that all of this rhetoric and stuff could, could be provoking a reaction that could actually come back and bite us and that you know what? If you don't pick the right people, it could, but I, I think we've got a, a good man in, in Donald Trump. I think he truly loves this country. I think he means it when he says he wants to make this country great again. Uh, you may not uh, uh, believe in the pathway, but I, I think that uh, you'd be hard-pressed to, to argue that point. I think he's genuine, genuinely in this uh, for the country and, and not himself. And, uh, you know, he, he is not a politician. He, he's a businessman. He's a New Yorker. So he, he's a little gruff and rough around the edges and, and plain spoken. Uh, but that, that's the man's personality. Congressman, what, what about the, the internal situation in Mexico, which is, is said to be leaning toward uh, a, a guy that some people think could be like Hugo Chavez. Now, you know, there are other people who dispute that, but he is a leftist populist and he's in the top of the polls. What would it mean if, if AMLO were elected in Mexico? And do you feel like that that presents a real risk? Well, you know, certainly, uh, you know, Mexico has to decide who their uh, elected officials are, but there are repercussions from our words and our actions. You know, some of us have been working on this for many years. Uh, if you remember uh, Mexico in the 80s, and, and Tony, you remember, I think we're probably 14 or 13 years of age at that time, but when we were uh, working on this, we were trying to bring Mexico closer to the United States. And we finally succeeded. You know, we got, uh, you know, we talked about GATT, and then we got, of course, uh, uh, NAFTA. And now we have a, a, uh, three countries that are working together, a uh, very competitive region uh, that provides us as a region to be able to compete with other parts of the world. Uh, and now we have somebody that is trying to affect that, and certainly it has an impact on somebody like, Again, Obrador, if he's elected, up to the Mexican people to decide who's going to get elected. But that does concern us because if you have somebody who's far left and far right, states like Texas on the border or El Paso, Brownsville, Laredo, McAllen, Rio Grande, whatever the city, we're the ones who are going to be right in the middle of all this. So it does concern me that we address it. But do you blame Mexico as a country when we call them every name that you can think of and you insult them? And this is why everybody know what Semana Santa is as an example. Let me give you an example. Semana Santa is the Holy Week where uh, you have a lot of Mexicans that Easter. come over and spend money. Easter. Easter. Right. They come over and spend money. Well, if you talk to CBP or talk to folks, the numbers have gone down. If you go to restaurants or other uh, uh, places, they will tell you that they've lost about 50% of the Mexicanos. And remember the 19, 20 million individuals I sent that I talked about that come in? Well, there's less money for our hotels, restaurants, uh, the malls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's less money. And when you ask the Mexicanos, and, and you might correct me on this, Governor, but when you ask the Mexicanos and you say, well, why are you not coming? Well, so first of all, we're afraid what's going to happen, number one. They might treat you a little different at the border, number one. And number two, why am I going to spend money in a country that calls me a rapist, a murderer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they're... The ones with money go somewhere else. So we're losing out, not only the tourism, but also in, you know, I'm a customer broker. I'm an attorney by profession. And I know talking to my colleagues, they will tell you that there's less money on equipment, on warehouses, because they don't know what's going to happen with NAFTA and all this. So words do have repercussions, and I don't blame the Mexicanos 
for reacting, and we don't know what's going to happen on uh, July of 2018. That's up to the Mexicanos. But we might be facing a situation that it would it, be interesting to have a far left and far right presidential uh, uh, or, or presidents in both countries. Tony, I think you were ambassador in the 2006 elections when, right, right uh, when Lopez Obrador was, you know, it was a, almost, it seemed like a Florida all over again. I remember I covered that. Yeah, what, was the, I, what was going on in like the State Department and in the embassy was like, oh my God, AMLO, this is going to be terrible. Was it, was there like a sort of a freak out moment or? I, I don't think there was so much a, a, a freak out moment, but let me take this in a slightly different direction. I, I think we're... Somehow in the United States, we think that the Mexican elections are going to be driven entirely by the, 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 their perceptions of our president. And, and I think that's a little bit presumptuous. Mm-hmm. If, if you look at the, the surveying and the, and I, and I actually still live in Mexico, I've been there 15 years, so I'm there, I'm there four or five days a week. If you look at the surveys and the polling done in Mexico, the first tier issues that Mexicans are most concerned about our security, security, public corruption, economic growth. I mean, you, you almost have to go down a little ways before they're talking specifically about what our president is doing. And to a certain extent, NAFTA is not even all that much an issue because there's a general acceptance that trade is good in the country. So, yeah, I, I think there, there could be some feed-in from, uh, from, from the relationship to the Mexican elections, but the first, second, and third tier issues in Mexico are largely domestic. They are people each and every day asking themselves, how is the quality of my local, state, and federal government impacting the security in my life? How do I feel about public corruption? So I I think that's that's an important point to make. The second point that is very interesting in Mexico, and it's been kind of, uh, it's a little more subtle, but because of this need, if you will, to, 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 to be strongly uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a negotiating position, I think Mexico has, one, become, uh, quite frankly, more confident of, of their position as it relates vis-a-vis the United States and Canada because they had to carve out uh, a negotiating position. Uh, secondly, I think they have uh, recognized that there are other trading partners in the world that they had to start developing more robust relationships in, uh, along the Pacific in Latin America with places like Chile and Colombia and, and uh, Peru and other countries. I think they, you know, you saw where the president was in China and I, I recognize that that's never gonna replace the United States for Mexico because it's just not terribly complimentary. Their relationships with uh, the, the Europeans. And so in a sense, this has forced them to be a more confident country. Now, the third point is when we get to the other side of this, and I think ultimately we'll muddle through this somehow and there will be a trade agreement, uh, we'll, be, we'll have a, a much more, uh, there'll be much more parity in our relationship in a sense, but the challenge, and this is the last point I'll leave you with, the challenge is going to be for all of us to, to recognize that this has been a very difficult uh, uh, time for the United States and Mexico relationship. That even if we get through it with a, with, a, with, a, with a trade agreement that works for everyone, we have drawn down the, on the goodwill account between the two countries. 
And it's going to be very important that we as sort of people to people in the United States, Mexico, and Canada start replenishing that account, whether it's cultural exchanges, academic exchanges, those sorts of exchanges that can start to replenish that goodwill account. We'll come through it with a better trade agreement because economic interests have a way of defending themselves. But the goodwill account is something that we're all going to have to work very, very hard on to well, replenish. Let me just ask you very briefly, though. Do you fear an, an AMLO presidency? Do you think that, that a leftist populist in Los Pinos in Mexico would be bad for the United States? Or do you think we'd, be, we'd, be get, we'd get over it just fine? It's not be no big deal. Honestly, you know, it's, it's, you know I'll, I'll, I'll sort of fall back on what Henry said. It's not for me to say. It is not for me to say. If you ask me specifically, do I think it will endanger trade? No, I think, I think if we get to the other side of this and we have a trade agreement, we'll be fine. Will it endanger e energy reform? I tell you that that was done both constitutionally and at the state level, and I think that it has enough momentum. And if it becomes part of the new NAFTA, it'll be belt and suspended pretty good. Uh, if you ask me, will it present some challenges? Yeah, probably. The same sort of challenges that Trump presented to Mexico, Andres, might, right. Andres Manuel may present to the United States. But I, but I, but I think it, you know, we'll, we'll, man, we'll manage this. So it's Spoken not like for me to say. Spoken like a diplomat. Let me, no, let me no, ask, no, it's not for me to <laughs> say. Let me ask, ask the governor. El único mexicano yeah, here, up here. Ask the governor. Okay? Um, governor, Go ahead, you, you're obviously a different, from a different political party yeah, than he That's is. Right. right. Um, a conservative, he's a liberal, um, but uh, are, are, is it something that you worry about? You like, would this be a bad for Mexico, do you think? No, or, uh, I believe that uh, the Mexicans are white enough uh, to, to choose the, the right person. Can be a woman as well. Um, he's gonna he's gonna run for president, Mr. Lopez is gonna run for president, but let's remember that uh, we don't know yet who are going to be the candidates for the other political par parties. And right now, there's a movement going on in, in Mexico where PAN, PRD, and Movimiento Ciudadano are getting together and, and with a citizen uh, uh, movement that uh, is going to be a, maybe a surprise, you know? And the exit polls, uh, or the polls that you were talking about, uh, they, they put this movement real high, mm -hmm. even higher than Mr. Lopez Obrador. So... Uh, uh, once again, uh, uh, I, I believe that uh, the Mexicans are going to be, we're going to be uh, white enough uh, to choose the right person uh, to be the next president of Mexico. Governor, I want to ask you a question about DACA. Um, DACA is the program, as you know, um, that shielded uh, people who, uh, from deportation who were brought here as children. Um, and... Um, Polls, of course, show that most Americans, what I've read, want to keep DACA or some version of it. Um, and uh, Mexican leaders have been have been very uh, critical of of uh, the decision, uh, Donald Trump's decision to wipe out DACA. Although now he wants Congress to do it. But let me ask you this: as as somebody who lives in Mexico and is a Mexican politician, um, why is Mexico not doing more to ensure? a very rich country that produced one of the richest men in the world, Carlos Slim, why isn't Mexico doing more to ensure that we don't have kids like this who have to come here to look for a better life? Well, the idea is, is, is uh, to have a better economy in Mexico, obviously. We're working in, on that. I'm doing my job in, as a governor of Tamaulipas with the energy sector. But uh, coming back to the uh, DACA thing, uh, let, me, let me tell you something. I, I know uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, 
people, you know, people are going to be real upset. Uh, it, it is uh, deal goes down, but uh, also there's a great chance of opportunities for Mexico for all these uh, persons that are well pe well prepared that went to school here in the United States. You never know. Uh, maybe in the future, Tamaulipas is going to become a, a new uh, Silicon Valley. If that happens, mm -hmm. you never know. Okay, um, we're going to start wrapping up here and move on to questions. I'm going to ask, I want to ask a couple of lightning round questions here, but so um, I think they're going to pretty soon be putting out microphones where people can line up. And uh, in terms of the question process, please don't come up just to make a statement. I, I want you to ask a question. We want to get to as many questions as we can, so please ask, your, ask a question. So I, I've, got a, I've got a quick lightning round here. I want a yes or no and, you, and, a, and then a brief explanation. Would you be in favor of legalizing marijuana in both Mexico, in, in the NAFTA countries, Mexico, the United States, uh, and Canada, recognizing that there are a lot of U.S. states that already have recreational marijuana use. So you, know, you, know, you can go to Colorado and spark up all you want, and then you get arrested for, you know, why are we spending money on this, Congressman? No. Why not? I just, one of those old traditional, I think, drugs are drugs. No, it's a, it's a gateway drug. Yes, and I love that you used sparked up in your question. No. <laughs> okay. Um, Yes, but if you think that's going to address the security, corruption, and cartel issues that Mexico faces, you are wrong. I agree Th with that. Those are issues of institutions and the need to build institutions in Mexico. Just to finish that thought, too often in Mexico, they blame it entirely on the demand side, and to a certain extent, they're right. But even without that demand, you have some weak institutions that need addressing in the country. No, right now. Why? Because we're not prepared for that. You know, this is not a matter of secu uh, security issue. It's a health issue. It's an educational issue. And we're not prepared uh, for that right now. Okay. One more lightning round, then I think we'll probably be ready to go to questions. Which is, what, what, what congressman, and I'm going to go down the line, what congressman is one, the one thing that you think most needs to be fixed under NAFTA? Just like you, you wave a wand and fix it. What is it? Uh, customs facilitation. Um, I think um, what we need to do is to make sure that we ease the process of how we move um, uh, goods across. And by custom facilitation, it's not only the, uh, the, the procedures, but we got to make sure we have the right infrastructure, the bridges, the equipment to move uh, trade as efficiently as possible. Commissioner? Well, that too, and in, a part of that is we need to move inspection stations mm -hmm. down in the interior, and the governor and I have talked about that. Uh, on the agriculture side of it, uh, our produce uh, farmers have suffered greatly in the previous years. Recently, mm -hmm. uh, we've lost nearly all of our tomato production, watermelon production. It's not profitable anymore. Uh, we have competing interests growing over each growing season. So that is one of the things that we need to work out in NAFTA. So right now, neither side is winning. No one's okay. making a profit. So we need, we need to fix that where American farmers can make a profit, Mexican farmers can make a profit, and we can all live in harmony. Judge? Those labor issues that I spoke earlier about, I think when we create... Living wage. Yes, absolutely. When we create conditions where we strengthen a middle class, um, 
on our side and where we create a strong middle class on the Mexican side, you end up addressing a whole host of other issues, including uh, drug use, including corruption, including undocumented immigration. It is a real opportunity if we seize it. Ambassador? Well, all of those, and in addition, that whole space that you would call technology, when you think 25 years ago, none of it was even a, a really part of, the, part of the framework. So whether it's intellectual property, the movement of, uh, uh, of goods and services as relates to e-commerce, the movement of people in that space, I would say the whole technology the space. The modernized technology. Yeah. One more, and I think yeah. we fixed the treaty. Go ahead, Governor. Well, first of all, we cannot uh, see each other as uh, competitors. We're partners to start with. What we need to, to do is to, to make sure we do all the changes in the NAFTA deal in order to lower the cost for customers, for uh, the consumers. And uh, that's uh, the way I believe we, we should do. That's the spirit of, of, NAFTA, of NAFTA, to, to make sure we benefit the, the quality of life of all the people that live in the three countries, Canada, United States, and Mexico. Okay, we're going to move to questions. Go ahead, sir. Mike, Mike. Don? There Hello. you go. Hello. There we go. So I do work here locally for an NGO called Austin Tencerca de la Frontera. And what we do is we uh, organize solidarity movements with people on this side of the border here in Texas and people uh, just across the border in Mexico who work in maquiladores or sweatshops. And my question for anyone really who wants to answer it is if NAFTA is renegotiated or if it's replaced or whatever, what role can human rights play in that? And if we're gonna go forward with a free trade agreement, how can we create like a fair trade agreement as well to limit some of these uh, problems that we see right across the border from Texas? You wanna take that? No, can you repeat it? I no, think. I, I, um, should, basically, should human rights be incorporated into the NAFTA agreement, basically, right? I mean, you wanna take that one, uh, Ambassador? Or? Well, well I mean, Congressman? Yeah. Go ahead, Congressman. Yeah, well, I made a, well, I'll, I'll talk about labor rights and environmental rights. Um, the, uh, on, and I go, I'll go back to the Trans-Pacific Partnership because before we did that, um, we did our other trade agreements and we've learned a lot. You know, from NAFTA some years ago, very different time, you know, we didn't have uh, digital trade, we didn't have all this. Even on the labor standards and the environmental standards, if you look under the Obama administration, uh, we actually worked out pretty good uh, uh, environmental and labor standards, and if we would have had TPP that would have applied it, and I'm hoping that we can add those same labor and environmental standards uh, to NAFTA because we have moved totally in the last 20 years uh, from the original NAFTA. The only thing I would add to that is absolutely yes as to the movement transporting of people I mean, that is just unconscionable what happens in that space. So I think the, uh, putting a bright light on the uh, trafficking of humans, whether it's exploitation or, 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 or children, I mean, that whole space needs to be uh, shown a bright light on. Let's take the question over thank here. Uh, first of all, thank you all for the great conversation. Uh, Governor Cabeza de Vaca, you made the voluntary move from the U.S. to Mexico an aspect of immigration that's rarely, if ever, talked about in the media. Uh, what inspired you to, to make that decision to build your political career in Mexico as opposed to the U.S.? Thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, all my family are from Mexico. I just happened to, to 
be born in Michelin. Uh, my, my, my dad, my mom, they're, they're Mexicans. And uh, but that's not all the, the only case. My case, uh, there's uh, thousands and thousands of people that, that are binational. And uh, what, what happened to me is that I had the, the chance uh, to, to go to school here. I had a soccer scholarship at the HBU, Houston Baptist University. And maybe uh, that helped me, helped me uh, know many things that were going on you know, in my country that I didn't like. So that's why I decided uh, uh, to get into politics, to make a change. And thanks God I've been doing it because I've been a senator, now a governor, and, uh, and that's, that's the whole idea, you know, to change things for the better of the people. Thank you. Ma'am? Hi, I'm Sefer Thomas with the LBJ School. Um, my question is for the panel as a whole. Uh, with the conflict around the border, specifically, you know, concerns and talks about the wall, um, kind of concerning the environmental side, is there continued binational work done through IBWC to kind of figure out what's happening with the Rio Grande, water sources that both countries share, transboundary issues um, concerning, um, I guess, environmental sustainability along the border? I don't hear yo, that. Yo oh, you got to ask somebody else. Yo también oí. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you hear he it? No, I'm sorry. Sorry, just, can you just like boil it down and... Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, so my, my question is, with all the conflicts around the border, is there sustained um, binational work done with the Rio Grande in terms of water resources for communities on both sides, or is that coming down to a Ambassador, halt? Why don't you, why don't you, so basically, what question? is the situation with the, the water question, mm -hmm. and, you know, what is the... What's the structure, I guess, for, for us to handle water? Yeah, there's an agency called SILA, mm -hmm. which is binational, right. and uh, they, they control the, uh, the water for both sides. And there's an agreement that was made in 1944 be between these two countries. Uh, the United States gives water to the Baja California uh, part of Mexico, and uh, we give water here in, in Tamaulipas to, to, to Texas. Uh, I believe uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a good deal that it was made back then. But we are gonna be having trouble with water. It's a worldwide problem. And I believe that we need to work more than that. There's water that is going to the sea that can be bring to the water, in the case of the water of the Panuco, you know. And there's some projects that are on the table that uh, I believe that we can work on that between these uh, two countries, I mean, the United States and Mexico, in order uh, to, to have enough water for the, the next generations. Hey, unfortunately, I'm getting the hook over here, so we're gonna have to, uh, have to stop here, and unfortunately, we can't take any more questions. Please uh, give a round of applause to this great panel. Thank you, Jake. Well, New Mexico has all our water. Thank you, Jake. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.